Genesis chapter 18 we're in, and let's go ahead and read the first two verses. It says in verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. So one thing we know uh, from this story is that these three men that are seen, I believe, are Jesus and two angels. That's what, exactly what we're seeing right here. And remember, we've been showing throughout the book of Genesis how a lot of New Testament doctrine is based off of what we see in Genesis, okay? So I think it's safe for me to base certain doctrines off what I see here in Genesis. And so for one, one thing I can, I believe based on th these verses right here is that Jesus Christ has always been a man. Okay? Jesus Christ, he was the one who was in the beginning with God. Okay? Now, when Jesus as a man was here on earth during this time, Obviously, things were a little different physically for him because he had not taken on the seed of Abraham yet. You know, he when he came to earth, he came literally from the line of Abraham. He was a descendant of Abraham, you know, through Mary. And obviously, you know, the, uh, God was his father. But at the same time, who entered into the womb of Mary was somebody who had already been. And there's no doubt about that. Jesus makes that very clear. And so Jesus, he had a physical body even before he came to earth. And here he is, and he's seen with two angels that are also referred to as men. Now, something we can learn from that, too, is here it's calling these angels men. And there's no doubt that these are angels. These aren't just two random men because we see the two men leave the Lord, and go into Sodom. And then in the very next chapter, it's referring to the two angels being in Sodom, going to get Lot and his family out of there. So there's no doubt that these are angels here, yet it calls them men, which creates confusion if the sons of God and marrying the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6 is stated that way because it's showing a distinction between angels and men. Okay? And that's what they'll do. Daughters of men... You know, sons of God, there's obviously a distinction there. There's obviously something different because we see daughters of men there. And therefore, you know, we know they weren't made out of the same stuff. Well, not necessarily because when we have a problem, we get to chapter 18, it's referring to angels as men. Okay? So obviously, you know, they were still angels. They had the appearance of men here, but it does. It just, it would be confusing. Okay. If the, cause the same person who wrote Genesis six wrote Genesis chapter 18. So if they were making a distinction there, then that would create confusion right here. But the truth is, we can figure out from context, based on what it's talking about, who these men are and what they are. And we can do the same thing, too, when we go to Genesis chapter 6. If we want to know who the sons of God are, if we want to know who the daughters of men are, you figure that out by looking at context, not by the title. Y'all understand that? Because the title here doesn't necessarily tell us what these angels are because it refers to them as men. But when we look at context, when we look at the rest of the story, when we go to chapter 19, it shows us that they were angels. So that's why we got to look at these things. and We don't just create rules, you know, and create definitions for things. We let the Bible define things for us. So I think this is uh, just further proof of two things that we believe is one that the sons of God were not angels. 
and that we believe that Jesus Christ has always been. The man Christ Jesus, as you refer to in the New Testament, has always been around. He was there during Abraham's time. You know, he, he Jesus, remember what Jesus said too to the Pharisees? Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And they're like, you're not yet 50 years old, yet you've seen Abraham? As we said before, Abraham was, I am. Jesus was, Jesus was around during the days of Abraham. And this is him right here. So just kind of an interesting thing there. But verse 3 says, And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now, I don't know if you all caught this right here, but we have Jesus and the angels eating meat. Okay? I just thought I'd throw that in there, you know, for those who act like they're all spiritual because they're vegetarians, all right? Even Jesus, okay? And this isn't even the, you know, seed of Abraham body of Jesus. This is him before, you know, his, his coming to earth in the New Testament. And here he is eating meat, eating all this stuff. So, folks, don't ever let anybody make you feel bad for eating meat. God gave them as a wonderful gift to us. Accept that gift. With thanksgiving. Alright, so just a little bonus there for you. But anyway, verse 9, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. Okay, keep your, uh, remember that phrase, the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, watch as I will return unto thee, According to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Okay? So there's a few things I want to point out here about this passage. So first off, notice how Sarah here, she laughed at first. Okay? You know, that's not good when somebody tells you they can do something and you laugh at them. Is that not an insult? All right, you know, husbands need to tell your wife, you know, I can do 50 push-ups or I can do whatever, you know, some great, you know, feat, and then they laugh at you. All right, that's not very flattering, is it? Okay, well, God's telling them, hey, I'm going to do something for you, and then Sarah laughs. Now, she, and here's the thing, she laughed within herself, the Bible says. She didn't even laugh out loud. She laughed within herself, and, you know, God, he knows everything, you know, and he's asking Abraham, hey, wherefore did Sarah laugh? You know, and she tried to deny, I didn't laugh, because she didn't do it out loud, but God was able to see her heart. Now, this tells me 
that she didn't have a whole lot of faith. Okay? But let's go ahead and look at what Hebrews chapter 11 says. Now, I, I believe in another uh, sermon I kind of covered this, but I think this is worth repeating because this is an important concept that we need to remember. Because we all have times where we get out of line, where we, you know, our faith isn't what it should be. We all have thoughts that go through our head, and we just can't stop it. It's kind of like Paul, how to do that which is good, I find not. You know, we all want to have faith. We all want to just be able to, you know, take on hell with, a, you know, fire hose or with a squirt gun. But we can't, sometimes we do, we just mess up. And we doubt, and we... All the things that we said we wouldn't do, we end up doing them. We're like Peter. You know, Lord, I would, I'll would, i never deny thee, but then three times. And one night, only a short time later, he does those very things. over. You know, that that's that's the type of thing that we end up doing. And, you know, that's, you know, that's bad when that happens. You know, and we feel bad. You know, we often feel like failures because of it. But look what it says in Hebrews 11. It says, through faith... Also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. Remember that. So many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. On earth. So notice how Sarah here, it, she's in the what we call the hall of faith, and it doesn't mention anything about her laughing, does it? Why didn't God bring that up? You know what? Because at the end of the day, she believed. At the end of the day, she had faith. At the end of the day, she did the right thing. And you know, we can't always help what goes through our head. We can't always help and control our emotions. Our, our emotions just get out of control sometimes. But you know what? We, we can control what we do. That's one thing we can control. And here's the thing too. Even if we fail in that area, you know what we're able to do as Christians? We're able to start over and do the right thing later. Even if we mess up. And thank God He forgives us. Even though we make some really big mistakes sometimes, God is able to forgive us and we can Put that behind us and we can move forward and we can be seen by God as somebody of faith. And that's what we see from Sarah. That's what we see from Abraham. Abraham originally laughed when God told him that Sarah was going to have a child. Abraham originally did that. Sarah did that. But when you read the New Testament, you'd never know that, would you? And you know, isn't that going to be the case? One of these days when we're in heaven, we're going to have a new glorified body. We're going to be like Christ. What we were before, what we did before will be forgotten. That's a blessing. And so I say all that because, you know, we need to look to these stories and take comfort in the fact that, you know, even when we mess up, it's not time to give up. And we're all going to make some mistakes. We're all going to trip. We're all going to fall on our face. But that doesn't have to be our legacy because it's the end of the thing that's important. The end of a thing is more important than the beginning of a thing. So don't ever forget that. Just because you do something really bad, just because you look bad, you have that lack of faith doesn't have to stay that way. You can move on. And so we see that with Sarah, even though too Sarah denies it when she gets called out on it. You know, she, she denies it at first, but it's like it's forgotten in the New Testament. You know what that tells me? That tells me the Lord wasn't lying when he talked about forgetting our, our iniquities and trespasses, him remembering them no more. I'm very thankful for that. So 
So what does this phrase time of life mean? Okay, because I think this is an important concept here, too, because of the fact that, you know, we teach that life begins at conception, don't we? Because, you know, we don't, you know, you've got like your Ruckmanite types that don't believe, you know, they believe life begins when you take your first breath. All right. That was one of the crazy, horrible teachings of Peter Ruckman. Okay. But, you know, we, and so therefore, you know, he, and I've heard him before, you know, saying that it's not murder when people have an abortion. Okay. I believe it is murder. It is, it is, it is definitely murder. And so this time of life, what does it mean? Cause I mean, if we're all just going to do like a lot of people do and just define things however we want, well, we can say the time of life. Therefore, that would be from conception to the time it's born, right? You know, cause that's what it takes for, uh, you know, a fetus or an embryo to become a real person. So that's why it's referred to as the time of life. So it's referring to the birth. Now, somebody could say that, but actually when we look real close and we look a little deeper and when we look at context, we can find out exactly what the time of life means. And I think this is uh, very telling. So first off, let's look at those parts again where it says it. So it's in, in verse 4 uh, where it's mentioned. He said, uh, or not verse 4, uh, verse 14 says, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. All right. And then now turn over to Genesis 21 and verse 2. Genesis 21 and verse, well, start in verse 1. So God said, I'm going to return unto thee at the time of life. Okay. In Genesis 21, it says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. This is what it was referring to back in Genesis 18. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the time, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So it's clear here that the time that he visited her is when she conceived. Now it says in this verse too, and she bare Abraham a son in his old age, but I personally think it's pretty clear that the visiting her was when she conceived. Why? Because for her to conceive, that was a great miracle. Because in Romans 4.19, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, folks, how can a dead womb carry a child for nine months? Y'all understand that? So that time of life, that was the time of conception. That was when the Lord visited her. And what did he do? The, the cust or the manner of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And what God did, he came along and you know what he did? He brought it back to life. He brought her womb back to life so she could carry a baby for nine months. He brought Abraham's body back to life so he could get his wife pregnant. So this was a great miracle. This was not like a virgin birth like it was with Jesus because Abraham was the father, but his body had to be restored to life before that could happen. So there's absolutely no doubt at all that the time of life was the time of conception, the time when God brought their bodies to life so they could get pregnant. So there's no doubt about that. So I think this verse or this passage makes it as clear as any that life begins at conception. God did not revive her womb 
when she, you know, gave birth to Isaac. Okay, a dead womb can't carry a baby. So no doubt about that. So I know we're all against abortion here, but I just wanted to give you a little more ammo just to prove that life begins at conception. Okay, not when the heart starts beating too. And keep that in mind if you want to take these, you know, uh, these pills that you know will kill an implanted embryo and things like that. These morning after pills that I mean can literally kill a conceived child. That's murder. If life begins at conception and you take and you do something like that, you are murdering that baby. There's no doubt about that. God visited her at the, according to the time of life. And he brought her womb to life and he brought Abraham's body to life and she was able to conceive. So uh, amazing, amazing miracle that took place that was of God, that was of God. Now, I've got an opinion. Okay, can I can I share an opinion? This this is just what I think. I could be ten miles off on this whole thing. I'm going to share an opinion with you in a little bit. But um, well, maybe I'll just save that for next week. But remember. Well, I'll, I'll save my opinion for next week. I, I don't want to get ahead of my, I, or it's not even next week, I think it's, it's a couple weeks away, about Sarah. All right, I've got, well, all right, I'll, I'll share it with you now. I might be dead wrong if y'all call me out after church and prove I'm wrong. I promise I won't get mad at anybody. All right, YouTubers, you can call me all the names you want. But at, remember how before when they went to Egypt, how Abraham lied and said she's my sister? Well, he does it again after this happens. Okay, because he was afraid, you know, people were going to want his wife, who was 90. Okay, now, who's, how is that going to be a problem? Okay, I don't know. Did God, like, restore her youth? I don't know. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I just, I, I was reading that, and I'm like, how did that happen again? When you consider how old she is at this point. So, I don't know. Just, just. Maybe, maybe that God did. Maybe God like rolled back the time clock on her whole body. I don't know. I don't know that. I, I could be dead wrong on that. Uh, call me, and I'll, I'll gladly repent of that. And, and I'm not necessarily teaching that's what happened. It's just opinion. Of course, or maybe she was just really that good looking, and still at 90. You know, there, you know, people, or you know, the other people, women back then, were just that ugly. You know, so I don't know. But anyway. Verse 19, or uh, 16, says, And the men rose up thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Okay, Now, how Abraham commanded his house, this was a very important thing to God. Because remember, God is trying to raise up a physical nation. God is trying, God wants to preserve a people because God's son is going to come through these people. Now, I didn't cover this last week, but remember, and a question came up because of this. It was a good question. Last week, we saw how God gave him the circumcision. That was really the law. That was the covenant that God gave him. It was the circumcision. 
Now, when we later we're reading in Galatians, it talks about how the law was added because of transgression. Okay? We see that the only law did not stay just the circumcision. God gave them the Ten Commandments. God gave them many more laws. Why did God have to give them these laws? Because they were so wicked. Because they had done so, they were doing so many bad things. God gave them these laws so they could survive as a people till the seed should come. Because if they didn't have laws like Leviticus 20.13, they were all going to die out of AIDS or some kind of disease. If God didn't have these laws in place, they would not survive. And folks, nations need laws to survive. And you know, and that's, and we should pattern our laws after the Bible to the best of our ability. We do not want to have a lawless society. I do not believe in anarchy. Okay? I mean, y'all know I've been complaining about an overreaching government and governments can go overboard and our government is going overboard. But that doesn't mean no government. We need some form of government. We need some kind of law and order. Why? So we can survive as a people. Not even so we can go to heaven. So we can just make it to the next day because we can't just all be killing each, killing each other. We can't all just be doing whatever we want. We will destroy ourselves like Sodom and Gomorrah did. And of course, they didn't even get to the point where they destroyed themselves. God destroyed them. But you know, we can destroy ourselves too. And I believe America, I believe, you know, we're, I think it's like we're trying to beat God to destroying ourselves. I do, I do believe God is going to destroy us one of these days, but I also believe we're Babylon. I think we're getting it at the end of God's wrath, but it's like we're going to see if we can't beat God to it. Why? We don't need to do that. You know, there, let's, let's, not, let's not rush this thing. You know, because God could, you know, we, we've seen, we, I've said this before and I'll say it again. When it comes to end times, before all this stuff went started happening, you know, part of us were kind of like, that's probably not going to be for a long time. But I've always said, all it takes is one event to just completely change everything. And look what this pandemic has done, how it's changed everything. One nuke can change everything. And folks, I mean, something could happen tomorrow. We could be destroyed. It could change the layout of everything globally. And Babylon could end up being somebody completely different. It does not have to be the United States. It just, we just fit the profile right now. So don't just go giving up, you know, on our country. Because the, Jesus' return might not be for another couple hundred years for all we know. Let's not just give up and just flush all our laws down the toilet, especially our good ones. Just go flushing them down the toilet. All we're going to do is speed up our destruction to the point where, you know what? God might end up just having somebody else be Babylon. So don't do that. Stop with this. We don't want to have this fatalist attitude that we just give up. We just don't care. Oh, we're going to go down eventually. You know, does it have to be on our watch? Why can't we try to stop it? You know, I want to I want to try to preserve this thing as long as we can. And if it is going to fall apart, I want it to be with me fighting it every step of the way. That's what I want. And we do. We need to hang on to the good that we have. And we do have some good, folks. There's some good things that we've got going on for us in this country. And we ought to want to preserve them. And I'm probably going to be talking about that Sunday night, too. Because, you know, our history is so confusing because we've done so much wicked stuff in this country. You know, I'm embarrassed by some of our history. You know, and here's the thing, too. People don't realize how much Christian persecution there's been in the United States. Now, most of it happened before 1776. 
But there's been there's been a lot. But I believe I believe with all my heart, and I'll probably be talking about the Sunday. I believe that God blessed our nation when He gave us the Constitution, even though I believe it was put together by some very wicked people. I don't believe all of them were, but I think some of them were. And I'm going to show you some examples too in the Bible where God used some very wicked kings to make some really good laws that were very beneficial for Israel. And I think we've got that going for us today, but it's like some people just want to just throw it all away. Just just burn it all. Really the good stuff? You know, we're going to you know, we're going to do that? No, let's let's try to hang on to this thing. It's okay to do that. And you know what we have going on today? It's what we see here in Genesis 18. I'm going to show you this. And this is the title of the message tonight. All the other stuff has been kind of intro to get us to the main part. Is we have competing prayers going on for Sodom. We have, I'm going to show you. You've got two different prayers that are going to take place for Sodom. You're going to, I'm going to show you. There's people praying against Sodom for it to go down, and you got people praying. Abraham praying for it to be saved and to be spared. And you know what? Both prayers, I believe, were righteous prayers. And I think, I, I think we've got competing prayers going on in the United States today. We've got prayers for it to be destroyed, and we've got prayers for it to be saved. And I believe both are righteous prayers, but at the same time, I want us to take some, a few things into consideration when we, when we make our prayers and some things that you need to keep in mind when it comes to this. So in verse 20, notice what it says here. It says, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. So Sodom, it was not just bad because of two consenting adults just doing what they wanted to do in the privacy of their own home. Isn't that what we hear all the time about the queers? Okay, It was wicked because of the countless victims that always come with sodomites. It's, it's never what they say it is, all right? And I don't care how much, you know, they say it. I don't believe it. The facts are just not there. These people are perverts. They are molest, child molesters. They defile the innocent. That is what they, that is what they do. And so God is coming because the, the cry is great. Their sin is very grievous. Don't go tell me all sins equal. It says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go check. If what the, if what's being prayed about, if what people are saying is the case, I'm going to know it. And you know, sometimes I think some people too, when they want to pray against the United States of America, I think they're probably taking a little too far. I mean, obviously we've got some, you know, stuff working against us. There's some bad things happening, but you know, it's not as bad as some people say. You got a lot of people like Elijah saying, I only am left alone, but there's still 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about your prayer. And so that was, and that was the case with Elijah. You know, he's praying against Israel, but when God checks on Israel, then it's like, you know, Elijah, you're not by yourself. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. However, when it came to Sodom, that wasn't the case. And when the cries are being made out against Sodom, they didn't have 7,000. They didn't even have 10. That's how bad they were there. So somebody had been praying against Sodom, and rightfully so. They had it coming. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who it was, but we do know there weren't even 10 people saved in Sodom. So who was it? Who was praying 
against Sodom during this time. And I personally believe it was the cries of the victims. Because, you know, I believe innocent victims, even, you know, God hears those prayers even if they're not saved. But I believe he hears them especially if they're saved. Because remember when Jesus said, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me, it were better for them than a millstone were hanging around their neck and they were cast into the sea. Okay? But at the same time, too, I believe when we oppress the innocent, when we oppress the fatherless, and when we oppress the widows, and they cry, I believe God hears that prayer. It says in Proverbs 21, 13, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Now in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. We know that Sodom was a well-watered place. We know it was a great place for cattle. It was obviously a very prosperous place. But yet, people are, there's poor crying out there, and they're not taking care of them. They're not helping them. This kind of thing angered God greatly. This was, this was a great sin. We see in Exodus 22, verse 22, it says, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child, if thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry, at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. You say, well, that's just the same. He said any. Right? He said any here. Okay, you know what? As Christians, we shouldn't go treating people bad just because they're lost. We're not going to act like the Jews and say, well, just because they're a Yagoyim, you know, we can cheat them and we can rip them off. We're not going to be like that as Christians. You know what? We ought to be honest even with the lost. We ought to be, we ought to be kind to them. We ought to, we ought to be honest. We shouldn't rip these people off. We ought to help them when we have the opportunity. We don't just help our own. If we only help our own, if we salute our brethren only, what do we, what are we doing more than the publicans? The publicans will do that. That's what, and unfortunately, we see Sodom, they weren't like that, and people are crying out, people are in pain, people are suffering, and they're not doing anything about it, and they're calling out to God, and God heard those cries. And so God came to check, and sure enough, things were bad in Sodom, and so God, he took care of business. We'll see that next week. And so in verse 22, it says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou... Also destroy the righteous with the wicked. Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? So notice how we have what we have going on here. We have competing prayers going on right now. We see God mentioned. There's been a cry against them. I mean, he's been hearing these cries, but now we've got Abraham, who's you know a friend of God. Here he is. Asking God not to destroy it. And, that, and mainly because of the righteous. And I believe Abraham was worried about his nephew Lot. He loved Lot very much. And so he didn't want to see the city destroyed. It says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then will I spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, 
Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, and but dust and ashes, peradventure there shall have five of the fifty righteous. Okay, and here's where we get the term Jewing from, all right? He's kind of Jewing God down. Starts with fifty and then just keeps lowering it. Alright? He just keeps lowering it and lowering it and until he gets down to ten. Okay? Now again, I think this was uh, you know, an appropriate prayer. Abraham is concerned for Lot. But there's no doubt Sodom needs to be destroyed. This is a wicked place with all that was going on there. And I think Abraham, too, when he was praying, he was probably ignorant of exactly how wicked it was. I mean, folks, you know, when two angels show up, you got two new men that the people are saying, and then immediately you've got the whole city, you know, ready to attack the place. Yeah, it, that just that, that blows my mind just how given over to fornication this city was. I mean, it, it had it coming. And, uh, but at the same time, Abraham, he wants it to be spared. And notice here, and this, and we, and I preached about this not too long ago. We see God's will often changes according to our prayers. Because God said, all right, 50. If there's 50, I won't do it. Okay. Now, and now before he said, if what's been prayed about is true, I'm going to know it. And I'm going to destroy it. So the thing is, we know that what had been, you know, the prayers that had been, or the accusations against it were true. And yet, God's saying here, He changed mind and said, fine, I won't destroy it if there's 50 righteous there. And then He just kept changing His mind. Okay, I won't do it for 45. I won't do it for 40. And He just, he just keeps lowering it. And God keeps changing His mind completely according to the will of Abraham. So now think about this, you know, because. Abraham asked him, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What do you do in this situation? You know, because you've got two different people praying a righteous and a fair prayer that are in opposition to each other. What do you do? Well, only God knows how to get out of situations like that and do the right thing. And that's exactly what God did. But just a few, before we get into that, a few things we need to consider when we're going to pray, all right? especially when we're going to pray against the place. And, and, you know, some people pray against stuff way too fast and way too often. I mean, folks, there's some, some people out there, if they had their way, everybody would have been torched by now. Everybody, there would be literally nobody left but them. And then their prayer would finally be true, and I only am left alone. Because they literally, I mean, imagine if we had the power of Elijah to call down fire from heaven, like the disciples wanted. You know, Lord, give us power, we need to call. If we had the ability to call down fire from heaven, I would have already torched a lot of people. Okay? Now, God hasn't torched any of those folks yet, which tells me it would not have been according to God's will. So God has not granted me that power, and I wish he would. I've never asked for it because I, I know it wasn't good when the disciples did it. So I've learned my lesson, but I'm not going to lie and tell you I've never wanted it. And, I've never, and I promise if I had that ability, you know, There'd be certain parades I'd be showing up at, for sure. There's no doubt about that. But anyway, when we pray against places, it's important that we consider the righteous who are there. That's what Abraham is doing. He's He wasn't so much worried about the Sodomites, but he was worried about the righteous. He said, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? You know, and Abraham was probably thinking, you know, there's more than just Lot there. But it was like, you know, as he probably started thinking about it in his mind, he's like, well, you know, 
you know, 50, that, that might be pushing it there. You know, and so he, he, he keeps lowering it. But, you know, I, I, you know, I felt that way before. You know, I thought about that, like California. It's like, you know, when's that earthquake going to come? And, but, you know, here's the thing. There's people that I care about in California. So, you know, I'm not praying for God to, you know, let that San Andreas earthquake, you know, happen, that they're all talking about it's going to happen. I'm, I'm not praying for that. Okay? Now, if you want to pray for that, California deserves it. But remember, too, we're in Illinois. We're pretty bad, too. And we got that new Madrid fault here. So, you know, you just remember that. You go, if you want to go and pray for God's justice on California, just remember, we're going to probably have ours right after they do. So, you know, just keep that in mind. I choose to pray for mercy. But if you're holy enough and righteous enough to pray for destruction, go right ahead and do it. I'm not going to stop you from that or tell you you're sinning by doing that, but I'm not going to do that. And there are there's people that I know and I love in California, so I don't want God to destroy California. Hey, there's people that I know and love that are in Chicago. And as much as I hate that place and, and, and people there, many of them, I don't want God to destroy it right now. Unless he gets some of them out. Uh, you know, they no, but... But, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? We are. I'm just, I'm really getting tired of just, you know, every bad person that's out there, I pray they die and go to hell. You know, I'm praying, just shut up. All right. You know what? You deserve to die and go to hell. And so, you know, stop acting all self-righteous and doing that. And again, there are some people out there, they are destroying lives. And if somebody wish, you know, yeah, there, there are some people that it, it would be good for the world if they drop dead. I get that. I get that. But, you know, don't be too quick to just go throwing everybody in hell. All right? Don't be, don't be too quick to do that. You know, be, be long-suffering. Be merciful. So, you know, and so we ought to consider the righteous. Also, in praying for God's mercy, we shouldn't act like we or anyone that we are praying for is entitled to it. Okay? You all understand that? Because notice a few things here. We're not going to read this whole thing where Abraham's talking God down. But let me just point out a few sentences. In verse 25, or um, in verse 27, he says, Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Okay, he's being humble about his prayer here. Abraham gets it. You know, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm not entitled to get my prayer answered. I'm dust and ashes. But what's Abraham doing? He's letting God know what he wants. God wants us to do that. That is a great thing about God. As wicked as we are, as much as we don't deserve things, God wants to give us things anyway because God wants to show his power and God wants to show his mercy. But don't act like you're entitled to it. Okay? Remember who you are when you're asking. That's what Abraham did. Look what it says in verse 32. He says, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Okay, well, I know I, be, I keep you know, bringing the number down. I've got to be being really annoying right now. But he's being respectful. Lord, don't be angry. You've got reason to be angry. I'm asking you not to be angry. He says, I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. Okay, What's he doing here? He's showing his humility. He's not having an entitled mentality. And you know, a lot of people today, when praying for God's blessing, which is appropriate, Pray for God's blessing in our country. But you know what? Don't act like we're entitled to it. You all understand? We ought to have the attitude that the Lord could torch our entire country tomorrow and take us with it 
and he'd still be good. But, you know, it's okay if you don't want God to torture our whole country tomorrow and take us with it. If that's not what, if, if you don't want that, I mean, who wants to get torched tomorrow? Who, who wants to be there when the nuke falls? I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to get hit by a nuke. Okay? So you know what? I'm going to ask God if he will not do that, seeing as I know we deserve it. Because here's the thing, too, and we'll talk more about this next week. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a lesson to the world. That was a lesson to all of us that God is going to destroy the wicked. And I've heard preachers say this my whole life. If God doesn't ever destroy America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I mean, think about how long some of the junk that's been going on in our country. Like I said, you know, and, and you know, I, even like what we did, you know, to the Indians. All right, we did we did come over here and just take over their land, didn't we? Yeah, we we did that. I mean, I think there was some bad stuff. You know, Indians did some bad things too. But you know, if you come start taking all my stuff, I might do some bad stuff too. You know, people don't like it when foreigners come in and try changing their culture and changing everything. How would we like it if China came and took over and tried to just change our culture into their culture? I'm throwing a fit, folks. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a big stink about that. Well, you know what? That's our history, folks. Okay? You know, and, and I'm not here to just, you know, trash all these things. Obviously, it, you know, it's in the past. There's nothing that we can do about it. But if we think that we have not just begged for judgment for a long time, okay, then we're just completely clueless. But yet we see God has blessed our country greatly. Why? I believe it's because of God's people. I, I believe God's people have been what has preserved this country. God's people. And God has chosen to be merciful for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's because of his people, how many righteous there are. Maybe because of the fact that, you know, the United, Christians in the United States are probably doing more to spread the gospel to different parts of the world. I don't see any other nation kind of leading the way in that area. It's Christians in the United States historically where that's be, being done. But you know what? We're seeing revivals go on in other countries. And if we think that, and you know, I, I'm, I'm worried that God might end up using one of these other countries. That God might raise them up. And God could do that. God could take a country like Mexico and he could raise that country up. One that's been, you know, looked down on. One that's had more poverty. You know what? If people keep getting saved in Mexico, God might start putting his blessing there. That might be why they've got, I, I, from what they're, I'm not a Spanish speaker, from what they're saying, they've got a perfect Bible now. Maybe God's prepping everything to, to move over to them. And we're done. We'll be like Europe. That could happen. Maybe God's going to use the Philippines, you know, the, the Philippines to do that. Oh, you know, they're too poor. But not if God starts blessing them. God can turn that around. In no time at all, God can turn that around. Folks, we're not guaranteed anything. So we need to have this attitude of just asking for mercy. And I believe that's what God has done for years. And we better never forget it. We better never forget why we have what we have, all glory goes to God for what we have here. And it's okay for us to continue to want good for our country, even though it doesn't deserve it. It's okay to ask for mercy. You ask God for salvation when you didn't deserve it, and he was willing to give you that. Why can't God bless our country? 
when we don't deserve it, if his people are asking for it. Don't complain if we don't get it. Don't murmur against God and act like he's not fair. But you know what? Remember when he does, remember that's him being merciful to us. So God will, God's will often changes according to our will because God loves us. He wants to answer our prayers. So what we end up seeing in the story is we do, we have two people praying or two, you know, we have a, a group of people, I believe, and an individual praying to the same God really for opposite requests. We've got one praying, destroy this place, bring justice to this place. We got another one praying for mercy. But you know what we see? God actually ends up answering both their requests. He ends up giving both groups what they wanted because of the fact that God ends up destroying Sodom. But you know what he did? He pulled the righteous out. Okay, now only three people completely made it out. Okay, Lot's wife got out, but then turned to the pillar of salt. But that's who Abraham was thinking about. And you know, when I'm not asking for judgment on some places, it's only because of the righteous that are there. It's only, for me, it's only because of the saved that are there. That, that's why I'm like that sometimes. But God did. God answered both in this situation. God did right, and he judged that city because they had it coming, but God also spared the righteous. All right? So now think about this. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is something, too, that Jesus referred to when he's talking about the end times. Now, this is why, too. I want you to be on Team Abraham, okay, when it comes to praying for our country and not Team Elijah, okay? okay? And if you do, if you want to pray like Elijah, I'm not going to fault you for it. If you're that righteous, you can do it. But at the same time, I'm going to kind of have a competing prayer. Maybe God will answer both our prayers like he did, which is what I kind of hope for. But I think we ought to be more like Abraham in this situation. And I, Because I like what it says in Luke 17, 28. It says, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the same day God pulled Lot and his family out, he rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah got what was coming to them. America has a lot of judgment coming their way a whole lot there's no doubt about that god can do whatever he wants to this country it will be just it'll be right we have nothing to complain about and god is going to destroy this country he will do it but you know what my prayer is in the meantime for mercy so america can get its judgment after we get pulled out that's what i'm wanting i want it i want god to wait until he pulls us out first but again we can destroy ourselves. There's no, there's no doubt we can destroy ourselves. If we keep promoting sodomy like we're doing in this country, the land itself will vomit out the inhabitants. Maybe that's something we got going on right now. The land's vomiting out some inhabitants because of all the wickedness that's going on in this country. And it could vomit out a lot more if we're not careful. We can destroy ourselves. But folks, let's go ahead and have an attitude in the meantime because we don't know when Jesus Christ is going to come Let's have an attitude of preservation, that we want to preserve what we have. We want to stay around in case we, we want our country to survive in case we're going to be here for another couple hundred years. I don't want my kids to grow up in the nation that we're living in right now. now I want, and, I, and, I, and it can get a whole lot worse. 
it can get a whole lot worse. So I want to, I want to try to preserve things the best we can. And that's my prayer. My prayer is for God to have mercy in this country. And we are allowed to do that. God wants us to do that. If you want to pray for destruction, go ahead. And you know what? I hope we both get our prayers answered like God did with Abraham and whoever was, and, and the people, the victims in Sodom. I, I hope, I hope he does it that way and just saves it until his return. But if we're not careful, we will, if we do not follow laws, if we're not, if we're a lawless people, we will be destroyed early on our own. Many, many nations have risen and fallen before us. And there's no, there, there's no reason we are immune or exempt. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your blessings and how good you have been to this country, Lord. It's, it, it is an amazing thing how you bless us. There's no doubt we've never deserved it, but Lord, you have uh, definitely uh, proven your mercy through what you've done uh, in this nation. And dear God, we are continuing to ask for that mercy, Lord. We know we deserve it. Uh, we deserve punishment right now, but Lord, we're asking uh, for for mercy, and I pray that you'll give it to us. I pray that you'll help us to uh, preserve what we do have, uh, what good there's still left in this country, and I pray you'll give us more opportunities and more time to win others to you and to uh, do the things we're supposed to be doing. I pray that you'll save the judgment that uh, is is destined to come upon us until after you've pulled us all out of here. And Lord, we just pray you'll help us to be lights and help us to keep getting people saved, even though uh, there's some extra challenges that we're up against. I just pray you'll uh, just give us victory. In your name we pray. Amen.